Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Good morning, everybody. It's been a long time since I uh, preached, and so I'm going to go for a long time this morning because I got a lot to say. <laughs> no, the last time I was scheduled was in the Revelation series, and I had um, everything prepped, and I don't get sick often, uh, but that night I was very sick, and Saturday night at 11, I had to say Thankfully, you know, I'm married to a guy who can preach decently well, and so I said, sweetie, babe, I'm going to need you to preach my message, and he did, and he did a really good job preaching my message, so. (laughs) My name is Laura. Uh, If you don't know me, if you're new here, welcome. We are so glad that you're here, and Really, genuinely, um, Mike and I are passionate about the local church. We're passionate about the body of Christ. And so we really are glad that you're here. And please do come and say hi to one of us. So we are in the series, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. I wore my green sweater because I thought it goes really nice with that. So I see a few other people donning some beautiful green shades this morning. And so um, as a church family, we have a number of values, which you can find in our vision booklet or on our website. The one that we're really focusing on in this series is the value of holiness with a W, the whole self, that God um, wants every one of us to be whole. And so I'm going to carry on in that today. And before we get started, Mike has shared a few resources, um, and I want to share one as well because this book for me is, um, I have bought and given away this book so many times, I, I have to just keep one in there that has a note on it that says, Laura, don't give this one away. You need to have one because I refer back to it all the time. It is called Keep Your Love On uh, by Danny Silk. And it has a little heart in the light bulb. Don't be fooled. It's not just about marriage relationships or romantic relationships. This book is um, a fantastic resource for becoming an emotionally healthy person um, and remaining in healthy relationships with people. So buy this book. Amen. I thought I would start um, just with a couple of memes because Pastor Trevor does that and everyone laughs and it makes him feel good, so I figured it would help me too. If you don't know what a meme is, that's okay. I picked a really simple one um, to help kind of explain them. A couple of them I made. I'll tell you which ones I did, but this is the first one uh, on emotional health. The blue pill actually putting my life together. The red pill saying, it is what it is, and then me reaching for a handful of the red pills. That's what a meme is, okay? It's meant to poke fun. (laughs) Here's another one. This is fine. 
I'm fine. You've probably seen this one on a, on a cartoon somewhere in the newspaper or something. Your life is a dumpster fire and you're sitting in the messing. I'm fine. This is fine. <laughs> okay, this one I made. Um, oh, no, I didn't. This one. I'm going to give you a lot of mental health advice today. Um, but I wanted to share this one because I'm coming from this place, okay? I don't have it all together. Um, I am on a journey. Mike and I are on a journey, and we've never arrived. And so um, I have had the cars crashing in the background, the life falling apart, the is it possible for this to get any worse type of situation as well. Okay, this one I really did make. That's me, there's my mental health, and there's me slapping a Band-Aid on it with potato chips and Gilmore Girls. That's a classic uh, infomercial. And then I think lastly, okay, this one I made, and I hope you like it the best because I think it's hilarious. Me thinking I'm an emotionally healthy adult. Pastor Mike's message last week. I was sitting there as he's reading the list. If you haven't listened to it, go back online. You can find it there um, where he's reading off the emotional infant and child and adolescent and adult. And it's, I feel like it's a sliding scale, you know, our lives. I feel like we kind of just slide in and out of a lot of those stages. <laughs> and sometimes we think we're further along and then you read in the infant list, like, oh, I do that. And you realize you've got some work to do. So today we're going to talk about the shoulder check. Um, and there will be spiritual application, I promise. Shoulder checking, when you go to driving school, driving instructors insist on shoulder checking. And 99% of the time, you don't really even need to shoulder check because you're paying attention to your surroundings, you're aware generally that there's cars coming in the other lane before you're about to merge left or a cyclist coming on the right when you're going to turn right. We're, we're pretty good at you know, paying attention. But why do they insist on shoulder checking then? Because sometimes there is a car there that we weren't anticipating. And generally speaking, when you shoulder check and there is something there you weren't anticipating, the reaction, or at least the reaction that I have is, <gasps> oh, <sighs> relief and gratitude that we just avoided a collision. Our lives are exactly the same. With our emotional health, we have to do a spiritual shoulder check because every single one of us, no matter where you think you fit, in the emotional health stages of life, we all have blind spots. No one ever sets out in a situation to cause as much pain as possible. No one ever sets out uh, to intentionally ignore their responsibility in an argument or a workplace situation or, or whatever. Nobody's intentionally swerving into the car that is coming in the lane beside them, right? No, that's why they're blind spots. They're blind spots because we don't see them. 
Not because our intentions are bad, but it's just because they're, they come up, they creep up and they're there and we need to deal with them. There's so many different situations in this room and in each and every one of our lives. Many of the situations will be very easy to apply a shoulder check to, to check our heart, check our spirit, check our emotional responses to situations. Um, an easy one that I can think of that might apply to a lot of us is the new waste collection system in the Comox Valley. You know, that's easy, right? We can do a shoulder check and be like, okay, okay, I guess we are one of the last municipalities in the province and blah, blah, blah. Easy. But there are other situations that as we go through this message today, it will feel very hard to apply our own spiritual shoulder check for blind spots. And that's because there is trauma and real, very challenging situations that some of us are walking through. And so when we go into kind of pointing out what some blind spots are and everything, I'm not saying to you today um, that you need to change you know, if you're in one of those situations that it's your fault or that you are the cause. But I'm saying that we can all grow in every season of our life. So, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you are here and that you're interested in us. I thank you for each person in this room. And we are here because we want to meet with you. So would you meet with us? Amen. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. Um, I have a lot of stories I could share. As I said, I've, I've walked through a lot of um, things. <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to read a, a passage of scripture. And then I'm going to give you nine random thoughts from an ever-growing list of lessons that I've learned um, or that are just generally good for our emotional and mental health. Uh, and then we're going to end with another passage of scripture. So I, I just couldn't, because I can't actually preach for two hours, and, but I still want to say a lot of things, so that's why we're going to break it down like that. So some things we really could pack, unpack quite a bit, but we may not today, and you can unpack them at the... EHS class this week. Um, before we get into the scripture, I too looked over that list and was really glad that those particular people have signed up. <laughs> Just joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I also prayed for everyone. Oh, you guys, I just had to say it. It's not the truth. I didn't say that. We're going to go to John chapter 5. Verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. 
and immediately the leprosy left him. In biblical context, and, and up until you know very recently even, um, people with leprosy were just treated so, 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 so badly. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, they, they lay out, God laid out a lot of laws and, and with the intention of helping people to be healthy and um, being unclean was seen as an abomination to the Lord. And so if somebody was unclean with a disease, the, the, the believers in that time, the Jews would, would think there must be a reason that they are inflicted with this. They, therefore, are an abomination to the Lord. And so a man like him, if you look in Leviticus, um, you can find a, a list. Uh, they must wear torn clothing. They must live alone outside of the camp. They have to let their hair be unkept so that it's obvious that they are unclean. They have to cover the lower half of their face. And when they are around society, they have to cry out, unclean, unclean. People with uh, leprosy, um, leprosy were considered the living dead. And in a lot of situations, what would happen is families would actually hold a funeral while they were still alive to declare them dead so that they could then receive their inheritance. A person with leprosy was a social outcast to the nth degree. I don't know the last time that they had ever felt physical touch from a human being. So when we read this scripture, you know, I often read it and in my head it plays out like, um, like as though the two-year-old Sunday school class were acting it out and a, a guy kind of walks up and, and he walks up really close to Jesus and then Jesus goes, boop, you're clean. And then he's healed and he walks away. But what would have been happening in this situation, and actually, uh, if you have watched The Chosen, you've seen this scene unfold. And I, if I had time today, I would have showed this clip. But what you see unfold is terror from the people, the disciples around this man when he approaches. They would have been like, stop, stop, don't come any closer. And he's yelling, unclean, unclean. And yet he wants to pursue Jesus. And people would be backing up. They'd be saying, stop, Jesus, don't approach him. Don't touch him, don't get near. Don't even breathe his air. He's disgusting, he's defiled. He's an abomination to the Lord. And Jesus walks straight up to him and he touches him. This is really important for a number of reasons. Um, the first being that if God made the list of rules, only God could break the rules or change the rules or overcome the rules. So the fact that Jesus went out in touch was actually saying something very profound in that moment that I alone am the one who can do this. But the thing that I wanna focus on today is that yes, Jesus healed this man's sickness but Jesus heals the whole person. This man wouldn't have had human contact for who knows how long. He would have been shunned. People would have run away years, maybe his whole lifetime. 
he would have felt so dehumanized. In fact, he's declared the living dead. He's a zombie. So for Jesus to come and to touch him, we all know that Jesus just needs to speak a word, right? Jesus just needs to speak a word. And he could have stayed back and just went, be clean. But no, he gets into his space. And I can't imagine what that man would have been feeling in his response. Jesus cares about healing the whole person. And that moment when he touched him would have been the first moment that he had human contact of any kind. Jesus healed his disease, but he also healed the trauma. If Jesus heals the whole person, if Jesus cares about this, then so must I. You and I need to care about the whole person. Our emotional health is equally as important as our physical health. So with that in mind, and the shoulder check, and the fact that, don't worry, my life's a dumpster fire too, um, we're now going to get into a list of some random thoughts. Is that okay? Are you guys, you're good? Okay. I have a big water jug, and now you know. Okay. If you didn't see it already. One of the confusing things when we come and preach, you know, is the fact that there are so many different situations in a room. <clears throat> and so you will hear conflicting advice at times, some things that will feel like, well, that would be scary to do in my situation, or this isn't the right time for me to be doing that, or this is, and yes, that's true. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to help each and every one of us individually um, receive what it is in our hearts today. So I have a list of nine things plus prefaces, subpoints, and bonus content because I couldn't quite narrow it down. The first one is deal with your emotional and mental health or it will deal with you. Normal healthy emotional responses are there for a purpose. God has given us the full spectrum of emotions. And he did that for a reason. If we don't learn to use those, I think there's seven of them, uh, core emotions, the main ones, sadness, anger, um, joy, or happiness, you know, those ones. Um, what ends up happening is they turn into other very big subcategories of emotions that end up being much bigger and much more difficult to deal with. So if we don't deal with them, they will deal with us. And we've experienced that in our own lives. We have you know, gone through seasons of hardship and where we should have given a moment to actually verbalize and talk through and figure out kind of what happened there because that was really hard. Um, and then time passes and all of a sudden you're dealing with anxiety and you don't know where it stems from. And um, our emotional world doesn't just go away. It doesn't just actually like, there's not a hole when we bottle things, you know, there's, it, there's not a hole on the bottom where it just goes boop and then down a drain and gone forever. It really stays and for a long time. Which brings me to my next point, grief 
is necessary and lament is holy. I think sometimes we are afraid to lament um, because we feel like, oh, I don't want to like blame God or I don't want him to think I'm mad at him or, or whatever. But he included an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's there for a reason. We have to learn how to grieve. Christians are famously horrible at this, especially Pentecostals. We use terms like, oh, God's got this. And we say it to people who are in deep trouble and grief and they're struggling. And we say, oh, God's got a plan. There's got to be a reason for this. You know, and we, we end up trying to explain away people's pain when really what we need to do is just sit there for a minute and be okay with it. My subpoint: grief and lament may not actually shield you from trauma. Um, traumatic responses is deep and it's internal and we even when we know how to do a good job grieving, sometimes there's physiological responses in our bodies because of trauma. Um, this is where I will begin breaking it down a little bit of the last year of my life. Um, I, I'm sure everybody knows the story with my mother. Um, and in May, she went into the hospital with a very significant um, emergency and spent three weeks in a coma on life support um, and five months in hospital and she's still rehabilitating today, but praise God, she's alive. Um, I was there in the darkest and the ugliest of moments. Um, believe it or not, that was not the only thing going on in our lives last year. We had so many like parallel crises that were running at the same time with some of our kids. We had, um, we had different neurodivergent diagnoses in our family, um, all the way from ADHD to OCD uh, within our little original six Aspidels. And so we were grappling with a lot. We have um, some of those things were very, very uh, intense all happening at the same time. And, and so while we were, while I was in Langley in the hospital with my mom, I would come home to my parents' place and be on video conferencing calls with counselors to triage immediate crises that were happening in our own family. I felt like last year, oh, we also had four broken feet in our family last year, in one year. Um, that was really cool. Um, we had, yeah, there was just, I actually won't even list everything because it actually does start to be like, oh my gosh. Um, last year was a really hard year. And I was determined to grieve well. I wanted to grieve well. And I, um, I would sit at my piano in my office when nobody was here and I would turn it up very loud. And this is how I grieve and lament truly lament is uh, bearing your soul. And I spent hours upon hours upon hours crying out to God and not like, thank you, I worship you, but like, what the heck? I feel abandoned. Where are you? 
happening? I don't understand. This hurts beyond what I can bear. And when we take time to lament, I have to be honest with you, every single time I took time to just say the things that were bottled up inside of me to the Lord, naturally, at the end of those times, my heart just shifted to be aware of his presence. And it's in the book of Lamentations where the scripture is um, talking about, yet I will praise you and how good you are. The goodness of the Lord never fails. When we truly learn how to lament, what ends up happening is we get to experience the side, you know how Mike talked about the mountain of the Lord, the characteristics, and you see him from a different angle. When we lament, we're allowing the side and the, 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 the character, the peace of the Lord into our lives that is familiar with our pain. And when we refuse to um, grieve, to face our emotions, to work on things in our lives, we're actually robbing ourselves the opportunity of experiencing the one who is called in the word, the son of suffering. And so in those moments, it wasn't him saying, oh, Laura, you shouldn't be angry with me. Don't you know I'm good? It was, I could, it was like he was just beside me weeping too. And just, just close. And just ministering to my soul. And so we end up experiencing that side of the Lord. But it doesn't mean that I didn't have a traumatic response that happened physiologically. I did go back to the lower mainland, back and forth, and throughout those five months, sometimes when I just stepped on the ferry, I had a panic attack. Sometimes when the elevator doors opened to the ICU, all the blood would rush from my head and I'd have pins and needles. Because our bodies hold on to stuff. and we have to deal with it. So I grieved and I thought I did really well, and I think I did. I think I am, actually. But that doesn't mean that the work is done. There's still stuff that we have to figure out. We have to release, we have to let go of in our bodies. Which brings me to my next point. You guys, this is bad. I might go for two hours. No, I won't, I'll shave, I'll shave, I'll shave stuff. Number three, survival mode is not a sustainable lifestyle. Coping mechanisms um, in, a, in a crisis are necessary. Some of them are not, like alcohol is not, you know, like, you know what I mean? So the coping skills that, like, we need to set boundaries and some of those things, those reactionary things in survival and crisis, they're necessary. Um, but when the season of crisis begins to die down a little bit, we have to let go of some of those coping mechanisms. And I'm gonna explain it with a picture. Uh, and the picture that I, I have in my head is uh, a person who's gone overboard, they're lost at sea, and the boat is arriving to save 
them and, and they're tossed a life ring, you know, and you grab onto that life ring for everything you've got because that you're just surviving. I think of new mothers in this place. Man, you are just clinging to the life ring and you are surviving and just keep holding on. <laughs> but once you're in the boat, it's time to let go of the life ring. And there's time to do that. What happens when we don't let go of that, though, is the boat comes to shore, and if we're still holding the life ring, um, it can begin to become unhealthy. So, my family, when my mom was in the hospital, there was one day when all five of us, like my, my, us four kids and my dad, got to be together. My brothers live in the States, and it takes a long time for them to get here. And so we were sitting around the fire this one night, and it was like five days in. Mom was likely not going to survive. This was the time. And you do what you need to do to survive in those moments. And we started like laughing about how um, we all kind of took on these different roles or coping skills through this crisis. And so my sister Rachel, she was the snack girl. Rachel always had food for us. And she just looked like Miss Hospitality, we called her. And we, we all talked about this stuff and laughed together as we dubbed each other with their, their role. Um, my brother Sam, my younger brother, he was like my dad's wingman. He was just there for my dad. My, my brother Ben, <laughs> he was like the angry American. He was just frustrated about everything. And it was awesome and, and sometimes necessary. Um, and my dad was just the pastor caring for us kids. And me, I became the knowledge expert. I, in those times, got, and I think God graced me. My life ring was actually being able to understand what the doctors were saying because there was a lot of very big stuff. And I could track with them and I could understand. And so then I could translate it to my family. And, and I wasn't afraid to go and advocate for my mom when she needed advocating in the, in the later stages of her hospital stay when there was things that were overlooked. And I was able to do that, and when my dad just simply couldn't, when he was overwhelmed, he didn't know how to administrate everything that needed to be done, and God helped me so much. But what ended up happening for me was that, that knowledge is power, that I can solve this, I can, I can become an expert, and then I can fix the problem because I know I know so much about it. But I didn't let go of that when the crisis started to slow down a little bit. I, I wanted to keep controlling everything. And it ended up spilling into my life in other ways. And there still is lots of like periphery and other big things in the story of, of elements beyond our control and things that we can't change. But in this last season with our children especially, as we've been learning about um, OCD and ADHD and how do we deal with these things, and, and in my own medical world, I've got some things I'm trying to figure out. And, and what ended up happening is I need to know everything. I need to know it now. And I need to make sure that my doctor knows what I'm thinking, that my husband knows what I'm thinking, that I explain in monologue form to my children so they understand um, like they care. It's really, you know... And it, it, it kind of snowballed to the, the effect where it was impacting me and causing more pain in my life that was necessary than was necessary. So what we need to do with those 
coping skills is turn them into healthy tools. That's number four. Healthy tools are better than coping skills in the long run. Great tools and skills can be birthed out of those. Um, and sometimes it's scary to look into our lives and have to learn about ourselves. Um, but coping mechanisms are, are caused in crisis, whereas tools are learned and applied because of our values. When we're moving in a healthy emotional place, boundaries are actually, like, there's two different ways to use boundaries. That's a common, you know, tool. Um, when you're coping, you end up setting up boundaries everywhere, building walls, building walls, building walls, building walls, which might be necessary for a time. But when you're using it as a skillful tool in your life, it's because of the margin that you care about and that you are creating health. And so it's used in a different and healthier way. That's number, five, uh, number four. Here are some other ways uh, that we might know if we need to do a shoulder check. Um, stay tender. You always know when a person has walked through pain and dealt with it well, because there's a softness about them. Um, and you know when there's a person who's walked through pain and they haven't dealt with it well, and they're, they're usually pretty bitter and crusty, so stay tender. Um, number six, God is not trying to teach you a lesson, but in his goodness, number seven, there are beautiful things that we can learn through every situation. So God is not the author. He's not uh, up there writing into your life calamity, destruction, despair, disease. But one of the things that he can do is use those times, if we're willing, to allow ourselves to grow and to, to, to learn. One of the prayers that I walked through um, when Mike was walking, going through his emotional collapse several years ago um, was, Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand. But help me to go through it with my eyes wide open. Because I don't want to look back and think about everything I should have done or could have done or what I could have learned or I wish I would have seen how God was working in that moment. I want to learn them now. <laughs> oh, that was so perfect. Help me to go through this with my eyes wide open. Help me to see, help me to learn as a parent when you're walking through stuff with your kids that are so confusing and you wanna have a knee-jerk reaction. God, help me have my eyes open to see how you would respond in this situation. Number eight, do a shoulder check for, don't do it for others, do it for yourself. A lot of times, you know, we, we, we think, okay, well, I'll do this for me because then maybe they'll see how unhealthy they are. Um, no. Get help for yourself. If you have a relationship that's broken, allow the Lord to touch your life for you. And if that's hard to do, then number nine, do it for others. <laughs> if it's hard for you to get started to, 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 to look in the mirror, then do it for others. Um, really, really quickly, I won't even read the passage, but John 
chapter 9, verses 1 to 7 is the next story that we're going to talk about. And this is where Jesus heals the blind man. Um, and, and it's the story where he, the blind man is there and Jesus says to the man, stand up. And then he spits in the mud, Jesus, and makes mud and puts it on his eyes. And then he tells him to go and wash it off. And when the man does that, he's healed and his eyes are open. He can see. Jesus heals the whole person. And like we talked about with the leper, um, this young man or this man would have likely been born blind. And so again, like lepers, society would have viewed him as either his parents must have sinned or he must have sinned. Therefore, he's an abomination. And this blind man, when Jesus went to spit in the mud, probably would have gone because his whole life, people would have spat on him whenever they walked by. So why would Jesus do that? Why would he spit in the mud knowing that this man has been spit on his whole life? Because Jesus doesn't just heal the blindness physically. He gets to the trauma of the damage that being spit on your whole life can do to you. He spits in the mud. He directly goes to the whole person. And then lastly, he gets the person to, to do something. Healing, Jesus can do it in a moment. He can speak a word and you can be healed. But what he does so often in scripture is he involves us in the process. We have to work hard in the journey with Christ and we're welcome to it. And you know what's so beautiful? The first thing that that man would have seen when he opened up his eyes was Jesus. Friends, it can be scary to allow the Holy Spirit to, to pinpoint something in our lives. But we can ask Jesus who excels so beautifully at opening blind eyes to reveal to us the things we might be missing, the things that we need to see, the things that could be inadvertently causing a situation to be worse or causing us to, uh, or keeping us from being able to really heal and forgive. But when we do that, we're not alone. Jesus meets us right there. So how do we safely shoulder check? How do we safely ask or figure out what our blind spots are. The first thing is we ask the Holy Spirit. So, so important. And sometimes we don't feel like we have any blind spots. Um, so if that's the case, then in your prayer, say, God, help me to be willing to become willing. If I, if I don't feel willing right now, help me, help me just to become willing to become willing. And as many degrees as you need to, to become willing. We can ask questions instead of just offering our opinion or our response. Ask questions in a relationship. I wanna understand better. Where are you coming from on this? Help me understand. Talk to the right people. 
Um, oh, it says don't be this person. I really put that in the notes. Okay, so go ahead and put that meme up, Dave. I made one more meme for you guys. Don't be this guy, okay? So that's you hoping that your friend comes and asks you what their blind spots are and you're just like, oh yes. Rolling up your sleeves like, I'll tell you, don't worry. <laughs> Talk to the right people. Be the right people for people, okay? Be the right person. If somebody comes and talks to you and, and asks you to point out if they're missing something in a situation or a story or if they, they what am I doing wrong? How am I missing this? What is it? Is there something in me? Um, answer with grace. DNA relationships are an excellent place to do this. Um, Christian counselors are a great tool and resource. Um, good counseling isn't always easy. Can I just say that? Like, you know, how many of us have walked out of a counseling appointment and been like, well, I don't like that counselor. <laughs> Generally, they're probably onto something, okay? If they're picking something up <laughs> that doesn't feel comfortable, they're probably doing their job and they're actually gonna help you. So stick with it. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Take the course. Um, it's hard work to, to heal emotionally from the stuff that goes on in our worlds. And as I said at the beginning, if, if we don't deal with it, it will deal with us in a, in a myriad of ways. Broken relationships, losing jobs that we just can't keep, living in an internal state of chaos all the time, inserting ourselves into situations where we have no business being there, making fear-based responses as parents, reactionary responses when our kids mess up instead of faith-based decisions and grace. We have to deal with it, and it takes time, and it's worth your time. So if you haven't signed up for EHS, this is my shameless plug for the course. There's still space, and we all need to be there. My name, if on that list, I'd be saying, dang, it's a good thing she's going to that because she's got a lot of work to do. The last thing and the most important is to trust Jesus. Jesus stepped into the life, into the space, into the air of the leper, and he healed the whole person. Jesus spit into the mud and put it on a man who was blind, who had been spit on his whole life, and he healed the whole person. And then he went to the cross and took care of it once and for all. We can trust him with our world. He's familiar with pain. He's familiar with suffering. And he wants you and I to be whole and to be healthy and to be free. In this last year of my life, um, I, I wrote a social media post about, about last year and I just was kind of trying to process like, oh, jeepers, I gotta write this down so that I can remember what happened. And reading over uh, the posts and everything over the last year, I, it was, it's emotional, it's hard, and, and grief never, you never finish grief. Our lives actually just enlarge to make space for 
for the grief in our world. And there will be times where it comes up again unexpectedly and you think, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. But we can give space and we, we move through it and God is with us. And last year for me, it was tempting to say good riddance to that year. On New Year's Eve, it was, it was tempting to say, see you later, never, thanks for nothing, 2023. But I can't. I absolutely can't. Because I've never felt more close to Jesus than I do now. I've never felt like I can cling to him than I do now. I've never felt that he's more trustworthy than I do now because I've walked through and I'm walking through the pain with him and he's beside me. And so while last year was one of the worst and ugliest and messiest and there's carryover and it's trying to spill into 2024, have experienced some of the deepest joy that I've ever experienced in my life. I have found laughter that shouldn't be there if you look at the big picture, but it's there because God met me, he meets me, and he wants to meet with you. So I wonder if we could stand together, and I'm just going to say a prayer and I'm going to put my hand on my heart and maybe you could do the same just to ask Jesus to walk with us and then we're going to respond in worship. Son of God, mighty King Jesus, I thank you that you are here, that you are with us, that you can help us the things in us that we need to let go of or to heal. That when we come to you in this place, we're not met with shame or condemnation or work harder or should we make all the changes now? We're just met with your embrace, with your loving eye that looks deep inside and that can touch to the very deepest part. And so God, I welcome that. I ask you to show me, open my eyes to the things that I've been missing. Show me the blind spots in my life so that I may grow and walk in wholeness and health in every way. Help me to receive your grace when I accidentally slip back into emotional infant infancy. Help me to receive brother or sister courageously shares something with me. Help us, Lord, to walk together in emotional help and wholeness. And we do that together. We do it with you, King Jesus. So I thank you. I thank you that you heal every part of us. And I pray for those that are in this place today that feel like they're in the crisis, that they're in the, the time of, I don't know how much more I can take.
I want you just to have your eyes closed for a moment and uh, recall the stories that Laura shared from Scripture of Jesus. I want you to, with your imagination right now, see Jesus touching, physically touching a leper. And now he's made physically healed. But in the process of that, there's something that's happened in his soul. Something's happened in his emotions, in his heart as well. I want you to see Jesus with the man born blind, drawing spit, applying it to his eyes, and he's physically healed. His eyes are opened and he beholds Jesus. But in the process, even the way Jesus healed him, brought him through memories of pain and brought redemption to his soul, to his emotions, to his world. And now I want you with your imagination to see Jesus healing you. The reality is in this life, we all experience pains, disappointments, setbacks, real hurts, crisis, trauma, various kinds and in various ways. And Jesus doesn't just touch us or heal us once. He is the healer and he walks with us. Today we have prayer team members who would love to pray with you in this room. If there's something that's resonated with you, I'm going to ask that prayer team to come forward right away and make yourselves available at the front here as we conclude today. There may be something that just has sort of stirred in your soul. You think, I do need prayer. I do need help. They're not going to try to pry into your personal life. They're not going to ask you to share more than you're comfortable with. It could be as simple as you saying, you know, today something that I heard really mattered and I need the help of Jesus. We would love to pray with you today. Many people um, in our church family have participated and benefited from emotionally healthy spirituality. Two and a half years ago, we had over 100 people participate in small groups weekly discussions going through the deep, difficult work of the inner world stuff with the help of Jesus and with the help of one another. Last year, we had over 30 people take in an Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course. And this year, there's already 37 people that have signed up for the course that begins tonight. And some of you maybe are like, ah, I've, I'm kind of on the fence or I've kind of trying to been, ignore that. Maybe you should come tonight. Maybe you don't know if you can commit to the whole eight weeks yet, but you're like, well, I'll, I'll come tonight. It starts tonight right here in our church building in the Fellowship Hall downstairs. You can find information on our website. You can sign up so that we can be prepared to welcome you tonight. It might be the most important journey you take to begin this year. As we conclude today, let me pray for all of you in this room and those joining us online today. Father, we thank you for your good work. We thank you for your gentle work. God, we thank you that you are safe. There's something about remembering the cross and that Jesus was stripped naked, beaten and pinned to a cross, shamed in front of humanity. When we realize that you've walked in great pain yourself, you identify with us in the midst of our own, there is something that we realize in you that tells us you're safe. So I'm praying over each person that courage would come to them for the journeys that they need to face this year, that they wouldn't go alone, that they would courageously risk traveling with others on the journey of the soul. Father, now as we celebrate the work of your healing and your hope that comes to our lives, it's our declaration 
that we want that same kind of hope and healing to come right into the Comox Valley, to the many, many people that we know in our neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, where we go in the everyday stuff of life, who they just experience brokenness and they live without a real sense of hope or without a real sense of help. Would you use us this year to bring your peace, your presence, your hope, your help, your love, your truth to their lives? We pray this now in the strongest name, which is yours, Jesus. And everyone said, you know what? Sometimes when we hear a talk like the one Laura brought today, it does kind of stir things in the soul. And sometimes at the end of the Sunday, we're not feeling as happy, clappy as we might other Sundays. So when we leave today, there's somebody nearby you that what they need is just a warm smile from you. So as you turn, uh, practice your warm smiles, give out a few warm smiles, maybe just be available to a few people in conversation today, encourage somebody on your way out. I see some people practicing their warm smiles. Why don't you do that? Bless you. Have a wonderful day. Emotionally healthy spirituality tonight, 6.30 in our fellowship hall. We'd love to see you there tonight. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.